Hi, welcome back to Unsolved Self. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm Maddie. And happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. We've been doing the podcast for a whole year. A now. whole year. That's super exciting. I know. Who knew? I know. So I didn't get a chance to tell y'all my weird week on the last episode, but I am going to tell you on this one because Maddie was highly disappointed yeah. that we didn't get to it. I was, because I got a sneak peek of it, and it was hilarious. I disagree, but okay. It was hilarious. The story I have this week is kind of long, so we're going to go ahead and get started, unless you got something. Nope, let's go. All right. On December 24th, 1945. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. What should have been a quiet Christmas Eve was anything but when tragedy struck in Fayetteville, West Virginia. The Sauter family, George, his wife Jeannie, and most of their children were fast asleep in their farmhouse when a fire broke out. It wasn't a farmhouse. I don't know why I said that. It was just a regular house. I don't know why it's it said decorated farmhouse. like a farmhouse. No, it was just like a regular <laughs> house. It was like in town. Okay. Okay, so let's go back. Giorgio Sadu had migrated to the U.S. from Italy when he was 13 years old. That was in 1895. His name was actually changed to George Sauter when he got to Ellis Island. Um, you know, they used to do that a lot when they would either misspell stuff or try to Americanize it. Mm -hmm. And so they actually changed his name on Ellis Island, which is kind of cool. His older brother had traveled with him to the U.S., but had turned around immediately and went back to Italy as soon as they cleared through Ellis Island. Oh, strange. That is strange, right? We don't know why he immigrated alone at such a young age. 13 years old, a whole entire new country. Yeah. That's like, wow. Okay. So... After a while, he found work as a truck driver delivering supplies, and then he wound up starting his own construction company later in life. He would haul for, did I say construction or trucking? I want to say you said construction. I meant trucking company, but he would haul for construction companies, like um, all their supplies and everything. Mm-hmm. He would haul those. So he started his own trucking company doing this. So he must have been pretty smart because, you know, he came in, he managed to survive and built himself a pretty good business. Yeah. Later, he would haul supplies for coal mines. Mm -hmm. And so he actually was doing very well for himself. Now, Jenny, who was his wife, she had also immigrated from Italy, but she came with her family and her father owned a store. She met George, and they got married, and then eventually settled down in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And Fayetteville had a large population of Italian immigrants, so it was like being back home, kind of. Their businesses thrived, and they became a very well-respected family in the community. They were very well-known. They were doing good for themselves. They began to have children in 1923, and they did not stop. Okay, eventually they stopped, but it was after 10 kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So of their 10 kids, nine of them were in the house on the night of the fire. Their second oldest, Joe, was 21, and he was off serving in the military. Gotcha. Their kids that were in the house were John, who was 22, Marion, 19, George Jr., 16, Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 9, Jenny, 8, and since she shares a name with her mom, I'm going to call her Jenny Jr. if I refer to her later in the story. <laughs> so we can tell them apart. And then Betty, 5, and Sylvia, 2. The family had celebrated Christmas Eve, and Marion, who had gotten a job at a local dime store, had saved up to buy her younger sisters a small toy each mm -hmm. and so that was kind of a treat and the kids were so excited they asked if they could stay up a little later and play um which wasn't something they normally got to do but since it was christmas eve um jenny said that was fine this was about 10 p.m mm -hmm. now before she went to bed she reminded the younger kids the boys that um they needed to go, Maurice and Lewis, that they needed to go put up the cows and chickens before they went to bed because they had not done it earlier. Then it was a farmhouse. No, I think they just had, it could have been a farmhouse. George, John, and George Jr. were tired because they had worked during the day. Mm -hmm. And so they had already gone up and gone to sleep. Jenny told the other kids that they could stay up as long as the older as long as marion and maurice were up yeah because they were the older ones so once they went to bed the younger kids had to go too she took sylvia the two-year-old upstairs with her and then she went to bed mm -hmm. so jenny wakes up at about 12 30 and the phone is ringing so she runs downstairs to answer it on the other end is a woman whose voice she does not recognize. It sounds like the woman is at a party. The woman asks for a name that Jenny doesn't recognize. And Jenny goes, you have the wrong number. The woman laughed in a way that Jenny described as very odd. Mm -hmm. Like an odd laugh. Not like it was funny, but more like maniacal, I guess. And Jenny just hung up. Yeah. And so she was like, mm, that was weird. That was weird. Yeah. So she goes on back to bed and um, she's kind of laying there. I'm sorry. Before she goes back to bed, though, she sees that the lights are still on and the curtains on the windows are open. And that's something they would always do before they went to bed. And so she thought that the kids must have forgotten. So she goes in, she cuts off the lights, she closes the curtains. She sees that Marion is asleep on the couch. Mm -hmm. And so none of the other kids are in the room. And that's where she had left them. But she assumes they had all gone up to the attic to go to bed. Yeah. But she did not see them. She turns around and goes back up to go to bed. So she's laying there. She's trying to drift off back to sleep. But, you know, the phone call was weird. And, you know, it's just weird. So she's kind of laying there trying to fall back asleep. And she hears something hit the roof and then roll down. And so she lays awake and she's listening. But she doesn't hear anything else. And finally she falls asleep. So, about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning, she wakes up smelling smoke. 
She wakes up George and he wakes up the older sons who are on the same level as them. And um, she goes to investigate and she realizes that the room that George uses for an office is on fire at the telephone. At the telephone? Yes. And so they're yelling for the other kids. John runs up the attic stairs or he runs to the attic stairs to try to alert the children that are in the attic. Yeah. But the stairs are on fire already. (gasps) And so he's screaming and he doesn't get a response. So they hope that the kids have already run out of the house. And at this point, you know, the fire's spreading quickly and he has to go. So outside, Jenny, George, John, George Jr., Marion, and Sylvia are all outside. They're all able to escape. Their phone was obviously on fire, so Marion runs to a neighbor's house to call the fire department. Girl, you don't have to listen to this uh, whole mess of what had happened. Who's missing? Um, the five other kids. The, um, hold up, we'll go back and find their names again so I can tell you which ones. Betty, who was five. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny, Lewis, Martha, and Maurice. They're all, all missing. missing. 14, 12, 9, 8, and 5. They're all missing. Got it. So they're the younger kids, but not the youngest, because the two-year-old was with the mom. Got it. Okay, so um, listen to this cluster that had happened here. Marion runs to the neighbor's house to call the fire department, but their phone doesn't work. What? So someone driving by sees the flames, and so they go to a nearby bar, and they try to call, but they can't reach an operator. What? So the phones may have been broken, or the phone lines might have been down, or maybe the operator wasn't there doing their job. We don't know which. It was Christmas Eve, so, you know, maybe they were partying. I don't know. In any case, um, finally, somebody had some success reaching the fire department from a phone in the center of town. Now, George sends his sons to grab a ladder that they would keep in this particular spot propped up against the house. Yeah. The ladder is gone. They cannot find them. There are two ladders. They're gone. They cannot find them. So his plan was to get the ladder, put it up to the window, climb up to the attic, get his kids yeah the ladders are gone they are always in the spot they're gone they cannot find them anywhere and it turns out later but they didn't know this at the time the ladders had actually been thrown into a ditch about 75 foot from where they should have been what the the girls marion and jenny they start trying to get water from a barrel to start extinguishing the flames, but the bucket is frozen into the barrel, so they cannot get water out. So George and his sons try to pull not one, but two of his work vehicles up to the house, thinking they could climb on top of them Yeah. and get up to the window. Neither truck would start. Are you kidding? They had used those trucks all day working. Mm-hmm. And they ran fine. They were in working order. But they would not start. Neither one. 
Now, it is possible that they were frantic and had flooded the engines. Yeah. But it's also possible that they knew how to drive trucks because it was their entire job. Yeah. So, anyway, George then proceeds to climb the wall to the house to try to get his kids out. He was able to bust a window and he cut his arm pretty badly, but he was not able to get in. The family had no choice but to stand and watch their house with their five children inside burn to the ground. Oh, my God. It took 45 minutes, and it burned to the ground. Oh, my God. Despite the fire department being less than three miles from the Sauter home, it was after 8 a.m. when the fire department finally arrived. Remember, they left the house. She smelled smoke at 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Oh, my God. It was 8 a.m. by the time the fire department came. The house was completely gone by then. Besides the issues with the telephones, the fire department had other problems going on. A lot of their firefighters were off fighting in World War II, and they had to use a phone tree to get in touch with all the firefighters that they did have available. And the fire chief, Chief F.J. Morris, could not drive the fire truck. So he had to wait on somebody else why to not? come. He did not know how to drive the fire truck. Then why the heck is he the chief? Good question. Um, he had to wait on somebody that could drive the truck to show up. And by the time they did, there wasn't much left for them to do. Obviously. The firefighters got there, and in the firefighters was actually Jenny's brother. Um, they got there, and they just sifted through the ashes of what was left of the house. It had collapsed down into the basement. Mm -hmm. And so they got in there, and they sifted through the ashes. By 10 a.m., Chief Morris had told the Sodders that they had not found any remains, implying that the bodies had been incinerated. I don't know how hard, how, I don't know how hard they could have searched, though, in two hours. Yeah. And, I mean, it was still hot, I'm sure, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they even knew what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. In any case, Morris said that the other five children had perished in the fire, and he told George don't do anything with the ruins until the coroner could investigate. Okay. George waited on this investigation. Nobody showed up. So after four days of waiting and no one showing up and not hearing from anybody, he and his wife could not stand it anymore. They bulldozed five foot of dirt into the hole where the house had once stood. They never rebuilt on that spot. Instead, they turned that space into a memorial garden for their lost children. Mm-hmm. Jenny wore mourning black and tended that garden for the rest of her life. Mm. I think at this point we can all agree the whole entirety of events surrounding this was suspicious, to say oh, the least. Oh, yes. It looks like um, it's possible that somebody might have had a hand in doing something, some of the stuff that oh, went yeah. down. But, I mean, who and why? But there are actually a few different suspects. 
George was very well respected, but he had a lot of opinions, and he was not shy about sharing those opinions. And many of his opinions involved criticism of Italian dictator Benito Mussolini, which resulted in a lot of arguments with other immigrants in the community. And we all know how passionate people can be when it comes to political views. Mm-hmm. So, um, since Mussolini had been executed a few months earlier, it is possible that sympathizers took George's opinions personally and decided to punish him. Yeah. So, that is a possibility. There were rumors that George was being pressured or threatened by the mob to use his towing I mean, I'm sorry, trucking company on their behalf or that maybe his family back in Italy was somehow connected to the mob or that it had something to do with why he left Italy at 13 alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real evidence on that or, you know, it, it's all just guessing as far as that is concerned. However, the week before Christmas, some of the middle-aged boys told mm-hmm. their parents that they believed they had seen a car following them home from school. One of the older boys had said he thought he saw a car following them also going along the highway and just watching the younger kids. But nothing ever came of that information. Yeah. So probably one of the most interesting um, couple of instances that happened were in October, just a couple months before the Mm -hmm. fire. An insurance salesman showed up to the house and he's wanting to sell a policy and George is not interested. After being turned down, the man got angry and he told George, and this is a quote, After the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini, and then he said that George's house would, quote, go up in smoke and your children will be destroyed. What? That's what he said. And this guy wasn't looked at. Oh, girl, you do not know. Just hold on to that thought. George was not one to be easily scared, so he just wrote it off as the man being angry about not making a sale. And it, it was in October, so and the fire didn't happen until December. So I'm sure he had put it out of his mind by then. Now, a couple weeks after this, an electrician shows up at the house, and he sees the fuse boxes on the back of the house, and he declares those fuse boxes are going to start a fire one day. They need to be fixed. George sent him on his way and did not hire him to fix the fuse boxes. Now, the day after George filled in the hole, the coroner convened his inquest on the cause of the fire. Remember, George has been waiting on this, hasn't heard from anybody. Mm-hmm. He fills in the hole, and all of a sudden, they, they just call their inquest together just the next day. The inquest concluded that the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. What? And the Christmas lights in the lower rooms, the ones that she had cut off. The fire was in several different places. They also concluded that the five children had perished and death death certificates were issued for those children. 
There was a funeral held on January 2nd. The surviving children attended, but George and Jenny could not bring themselves to attend. They had started to believe that their children may not have been in the fire at all, that they may have been kidnapped. They began to question the official findings and found that some of the things were just not not adding up. For instance, the faulty wiring. The reason that George had turned the electrician away back in October was because he had just, right before that, had his entire house rewired when he had a new electric stove installed. Hmm. So, he had had it completely rewired. Yeah. Just a couple weeks before. So, the guy had spooked him, though, when he said it. And so, George called the electric company to come back out and inspect the wiring again, which they did and said it was completely safe. Huh. So, the wiring had been inspected. It was brand new in October and had been inspected again after it was put in. Yeah. So, the faulty wiring thing didn't add up to them. Mm Mm-mm. Okay. So, also... Jenny said in an interview that they probably wouldn't have made it out if the lights had not been on. If they hadn't been able to turn on the lights. So that means that they had power at the time they escaped. So if it was a wiring issue, wouldn't the power have gone out? Would they have had lights? Exactly. But they did have lights when they escaped. So there was also some conflicting newspaper reports One article said that the bodies had been found of all the children. Really? One said that they had found some bone fragments. And the Sodders, remember, were told that there were no remains to be found at the scene. So that was curious to them. And we know that conflicting news reports do happen even now. But they just kind of furthered the family's belief that something shady might be going on. Jenny, badass that she was, she starts her own investigation. She cannot understand how there could be no traces of any bodies. Yet there were appliances and other items that were burned but still recognizable. Mm -hmm. She began to get animal bones from the butcher and burn them. And she tried everything she could to make them burn completely. And she was never able to completely burn the Mm -hmm. bones. So she speaks to the, an employee at a local crematorium who tells her that it would take about three hours at over a thousand degrees to incinerate the bones. She believed that was hotter than their house fire could have been. And it only burned for 45 minutes. Exactly. So I did a quick search, and according to firefighterinsider.com, the average house fire burns at about 1,500 degrees. Now, I don't know if a fire in 1945 would have burned the same because of the building material. It may have burned hotter, Mm -hmm. actually. But um, we do know that the house was finished burning in 45 minutes. Yeah. So it did not have enough time because that's a thousand degrees for three hours. Yeah. To incinerate a body. It had 45 minutes. So my, I mean, I don't know if it works out the same, but then you would have to go three times the 
temperature, right? Right. So, I don't know. That seems fishy. Jenny became convinced that the children were not in the house after she saw a newspaper article that said a family of seven had been killed in a recent house fire. This house in this article was built very similar in size, shape, and material to her own, yet all seven of the bodies had been found, including that of a three-month-old baby. A couple of other things came out in the days following the fire that seemed to support the theory that the fire was set intentionally and that the other five children may not have been in the home at the time of the fire. For one thing, when a maintenance man for the phone company came out, they discovered that the phone lines had been cut and not burned like they had originally assumed. Yeah. And not just cut, but they had been cut 14 foot from the ground and two foot from the pole. So maybe that's why the ladders were moved because somebody um, had climbed the pole to cut the phone line. Oh, why would they so, do that? I don't know. Why would they climb to do it? Good question. Right after the fire, neighbors reported to the police that while the fire was burning that night, they had witnessed a man stealing a block and tackle from the property. And a block and tackle, for anybody that doesn't know, is like a pulley system used for um, to work on engines and anything heavy. They like mm -hmm. pull it up. Um, in this case, George used it for working on engines. This man was identified and arrested. He said he had cut the phone lines believing that they were power lines, but he had nothing to do with the fire itself. But let's get into that. If he cut the phone lines, it would have to have been after midnight because of the phone, midnight 30, because after the, um, after the phone call, the after the phone call. call. So it would have had to been after midnight 30. And that's an inside joke with my husband. He'll catch that. <laughs> So, um, because of that wrong number call, that kind of narrows down the time. And Jenny smelled the smoke between 1.30 and 2. So, it would have yeah. had to have been in that hour span if he did it. So, they didn't raise the neighbors until after 2, but he was still on the property stealing. And that's all he took. That's weird. The ladder was in the ditch already when they came out. Mm -hmm. So... The neighbors probably didn't get to the scene until 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Yeah. That's a long time for this dude to just be hanging out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And um, if he had nothing to do with the fire, he just came to steal. But then he stood by and watched when the fire broke out and the family fought to save their kids. I mean, that's pretty cold-hearted, right? For sure. Also, why would you cut the power? Yeah, why do you need it to cut It seems the power? like more trouble than it's worth he had to find the ladder climb the 14 foot up lean out to cut the wire so far from the pole because it's two foot from the pole mm -hmm. um and then you're just stealing tools from the yard why do you need to cut the power it makes no sense nobody seemed to believe him and the charges were not filed and i don't know why a bus driver came forward to say that on the night of the fire, he had seen some people throwing balls of fire onto the roof of the solder home. Three months later, when the snow melted, Sylvia was playing at the home site and had found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object George believed was an incendiary device, and he 
recalled his wife believing that she had heard something rolling down the roof that night. They yeah. believed the official reports were wrong, and this was what actually started the fire, and it had started on the roof. The Sodders hired a detective and had flyers printed up with pics of the missing kids and a reward for $5,000 on any information. That would be over $83,000 in today's money. Man. In 1952, they put up a billboard at the house site and along the highway with the same information. The detective definitely detected some stuff. First, he found out that that sketchy insurance salesman, remember him, Mm -hmm. with the air quotes, warned George that his house was going to burn and his children would be destroyed. He was on that inquest jury the coroner had set up. He was actually on the jury that said the fire was an accident and the children were um, dead. That feels like a conflict, but Uh, yeah. what do we know? The detective also detected that there were some rumors surrounding Fire Chief Morris. Apparently, he had confessed to a local minister that he had, in fact, found a heart in the ashes. He said he had packed the heart in a metal dynamite box and had buried it on the property. George went and confronted the minister with this info, and the man confirmed that that's what he had been told. A heart? A heart. A human heart? Yes. So you're telling me bones were destroyed, but the human heart was not? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So also, I reckon ministers don't have the same binds that, like, say, a Catholic priest would, because this man was just out here telling people's confessions all over town. (laughs) He's like, yeah, that's what he said. George and the detective went for answers, and let's just say they conjoled Chief Morris into showing them where the box was buried. They took what they found in the box to the funeral director and asked him to examine it. And after the examinations, the Sodders got news that they did not expect. In the box was a beef liver. A beef liver. So maybe they had some beef liver in the fridge and it was found and misidentified, right? No, it was fairly fresh and had shown no signs at all of ever being in a fire. Morris later said, and y'all will be shocked by this, he had faked it. (gasps) No. Yeah, no shit, dude. Tell us something we don't know, right? Um, He said it was an act of kindness that he was performing so the Sodders would believe their children had passed in the fire and they would stop looking for them. Oh, how kind of him. Yes. Let's dissect this for a minute. He lied to a minister to start a story, which I think says a lot about him, but also how big the minister's mouth must have been that he knew the dude would tell. Right. This man could not keep a secret for shit. Everybody knew. Everybody. He's telling everybody's business. Everybody's. Okay. So, why would he not have told, like, a friend or a neighbor or somebody that was more likely to go directly to the Sodders, though? Mm-hmm. Why tell this preacher and just hope it got back to him? Because it didn't until the detective sussed it out, right? Also, just wondering, why did he care if they were looking for the kids? It wasn't his time or money. Why did he care? Yeah. If making them stop was really his motivation, I'm guessing it was because it was hurting his reputation, which, um, let's look at that. This is a fire chief that cannot drive the fire truck. <laughs> I mean, learn how, dude. I could have like, learned it's not how. That hard. 
I'm sure I've never driven a fire truck before, but I'm sure like if you have any experience with any kind of vehicle and your guy is taking five hours to show up. So, okay. I get that they were shorthanded because of the war, but what was their plan before that? Like it would have had to be in the phone tree system, right? Yeah. So why was their response time? Was their response time always five hours? Uh, I mean, were they just out here letting people burn? The town is not that big. And I, honest to God, think I probably could have gone door to door in the entire community here and rounded up enough people that somebody could drive a fire truck and a dozen people would come help put out a fire. Yeah. Honest to God, I believe I could do it right now. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know, I don't even think a dozen people live here. I still think I could do it. Anyway... Um, one more thing, and I honestly, I question the thinking capacity of a fire chief that says the bones of five bodies are absolutely gone, nothing left, but a heart survived, and then doesn't even go get a heart from the butcher, he gets a liver. Right. They look vastly different, and a lot of people eat liver, so I feel like most people would recognize it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, two years after that, in 1949, the Sodders hire a pathologist to come to the scene and excavate. And they find a few odds and ends, some burned books, coins, and they find some shards of human vertebrae. No other bones of evidence, just a couple shards of human vertebrae. They send these bones to the Smithsonian to be tested. And identified they assume as one of the children so again they get news they do not expect these bones are from the same person all of them and it is a male between the ages of 16 and 22 the oldest of their missing sons was 14 also these bones had never been exposed to fire so they were not even in the fire yeah so now there's just random bones A doctor at the Smithsonian wrote in his report, according to the Register Herald, since the house was stated to have burned for half an hour or so, one would expect to find full skeletons of five children rather than only four vertebrae. It is very strange that no other bones were found in an allegedly careful excavation of the basement of the house. He concluded that the bones must have been in the dirt that George used to fill in the site. It was reported that the bones later were confirmed to have come from a local cemetery, but there was no explanation for how they got there. My guess would be another act of kindness, but I do not know. So kind. Yes. So the investigation started to get attention and the West Virginia legislature held two hearings on it, but the governor and his police superintendent decided that the case was hopeless and closed it at a state level. The Sodders then tried to get help from the FBI, but they responded saying it was outside of their jurisdiction and they would need to be invited in by local authorities. And that was not happening. Meanwhile, during this whole time, tips are rolling in, and I'm unclear on the timing of these tips because some were immediate and some were later Mm -hmm. um, after word had spread. So these are in no particular order, but one woman came forward to say she had seen the missing children watching the fire 
from the window of a passing car on the night of the fire. Another woman claimed that she had served the children breakfast the morning after the fire at a truck stop about 50 miles outside of Fayetteville going towards Charleston. I didn't see who she said they were, though, who they were with, though. Yeah. Obviously, they weren't alone, but I didn't ever see that she said they were with so-and-so. Um, she did mention that there was a car in the parking lot that had Florida plates, and she felt like it belonged to them. Now, a motel operator in Charleston said she had seen the kids a week after the fire, and she didn't realize they were missing until two years later when she had seen a picture of the kids in the news. She said that they were with two men and two women, that she had tried to speak to the children, and one of the men gave her an evil eye and then started to speak harshly in Italian. The rest of the group did not speak to her again after that. They came in about midnight, and then they left very early the next morning. Police did not find her story to be credible because she waited five years after she saw the picture to come forward. Yeah. So, I don't know if I blame the police on that. I mean, you know, you didn't realize they were missing, yeah, but when you realized it, I mean, make a decision, people. The Sodders also received a letter from a woman in Texas who believed Martha was living in a convent in St. Louis. A Texas, a man in Texas who overheard a conversation about two men who set a fire on Christmas Eve. And they heard rumors that the children were living in Florida and were taken by some of Jenny's relatives. In 1967, a woman had written to the family to say that a man had gotten drunk and revealed his true identity to her one night. He said he was Louis Sauter, and she believed that he and Maurice were living together as roommates in Houston, Texas. George and his son-in-law traveled to Houston to check out this tip, and they were unable to speak with the woman for some reason, but police were able to help them find the two men that she thought were Lewis and Maurice mm-hmm. and um, they denied that they were his missing kids and denied that that conversation had ever happened. The son-in-law said that George had doubted for the rest of his life whether or not these men were his sons. Mm-hmm. George checked out every single tip personally. He even went to Florida and made Jenny's relatives prove that the kids he had were his own. <laughs> so Um, Once he saw a photo in a magazine of a group of ballet dancers at a school in New York, and he went to New York, he was positive one of the girls was Betty, Mm -hmm. and he went to the school and demanded to be allowed to see her. Obviously, the school refused. Uh, Yeah. Eventually, he gave up, but he wondered about that forever, too. In 1968, Jenny received an envelope that was addressed to her. It was postmarked from Central City, Kentucky, and had no return address. Inside the envelope was a photo with some writing on the back. The photo was a dark-haired man with dark, serious eyes. The back said, Louis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, I-L-I-L, boys. Ill-ill, boys? And then the numbers, well the phrase A90132 or A90135. They couldn't tell if it was a two or a five. There were theories thrown out that because 90132 was the zip code of Palermo, Sicily, 
that it was proof the children were taken back to Italy, perhaps to be raised by George's family. Um, here's the thing. Why? Yeah. George's, what does George's family want with the kids? I mean. They don't even know the kids. Okay. so Have for, the kids ever been to Italy? No, not to my knowledge. For the record, I looked it up and the zip codes were just started in Italy like the year before that. And I could not find Italy's original zip codes. And those came back to Indonesia, not Italy. So I don't know if that changed, but that's what I found. The Sodders did not know anybody named Frankie. And they didn't know what anything else written on the back had meant. But they were sure it was their son. Lewis was nine at the time of the fire, and he would have been like 30 in this picture. And kids change a lot, so I can understand why they needed to believe it was him, but I don't know if they could be certain. Yeah. At first, they didn't want to tell anybody because they thought it might put their kids in danger, but eventually they put his, his this picture on the billboard, and they enlarged a copy and put it on their mantle. They hired another detective and sent him to Kentucky to find out who sent it, but he never reported back and they couldn't reach him after that. Yeah, they, he took their money and ran. <clears throat> yeah. George gave an interview with the Charleston Gazette Mail in which he said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they died in the fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. That would prove to be prophetic because George died in 1969 shortly after that interview. Mm. Jenny died in 1989 and the remaining family took up, took the worn billboards down eventually. I think Sylvia's granddaughter is still, she'll keep it in the news every once in a while. Yeah. But otherwise, nobody else in the family is left. Oh, wow. So, that was it. What do you think? Crazy, wild story. I know. So, popular thinking now is that they actually did die in the fire, but I do question it because why were there, why were there no bones? Yeah, I, I from the get-go, was like, they're not even in, that, in, mm -hmm. in the attic. I found it sketchy. Well, I mean, I'm not pointing fingers at the mom. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I find it weird that she didn't go and check on the kids. Like, go up and look at them. I don't. She had ten kids. She was probably tired. Listen, people say that all the time. But, you know, I, I raised six kids. And there were some points where I was just like, I'm so glad they're asleep. I'm not risking opening this door and somebody talking to me. <laughs> so yeah i don't know i mean i get it but i don't know it just seems a little i mean i bet she probably wished she had because she would know one way or another if they had been there yeah so but they were not there and she did leave them in the living room and it is possible that they were taken from the living room yeah i mean those kids were in the living room so i don't know all right, let me tell you real quick about my uh, crazy week, my crazy last Do couple you have days. Time? Yes, I've got like 15 minutes and then I got to go get Zane. So okay. we're going to go ahead and do this real quick and then Maddie's going to shut us down. Okay. All right. So, um, man, let me think what happened. So I had to, <laughs> I had to take Melanie back to her job in another county okay so i go there drop her off with her aunt right turn around to leave i get like a quarter mile up the road the truck starts overheating 
I'm like, that sucks. So I call my husband. I'm like, hey, truck's overheating. It had been smoking really bad. And I had called and told him that too. Yeah. He's working at night. And so he's tired. And he's like, just go back and get um, to Bonnie's and get some water and put in it. So we do. Like Melanie has to climb up on the tire because I'm too short to see where the water thing is. It's a whole thing, right? Yeah. Get the water, put it in there. Um, I'm like get the water filled back up, the jug filled back up. I'm like driving along, everything's fine. And all of a sudden I get in this other little community, like probably halfway back to where I was going. And um, like I had a whole plan on everything I needed to do, but I'm like, mm, scratch all that, going straight home, going baby at home, right? Mm. I get up there, I'm driving along and the temperature goes up and then back down. And then all of a sudden shoots up and I'm like, whoa, whoa. And so I don't want to blow up the truck. So I slip it in the neutral. I cut it off so it won't continue to heat up. Yeah. I'm coasting down the road, backcountry road. Nobody, I mean, there's a couple of houses, but nobody really around. I'm going to coast because I'm kind of in a curve. I'm going to coast around and pull off the edge of the road where I know that it'll be possible for him to get a trailer in to get the truck back because I'm like, at this point, we just need to tow it back because we don't want to blow it up. Yeah. Okay. So I find a spot. I go to ease off the road. When I go to turn off the road, there is this god-awful, like, metal-on-metal scraping noise. The truck is completely off. The motor is not running. Like, I know some stuff about cars. Yeah. I'm like, mm, I'm lost. I have no clue. How strange. I look because I'm like... That, that was weird, right? I look, there's a dude in his yard across the road, and he, like, turns around and looks, like, wide-eyed. So, I know the noise was there. I know mm -hmm. that he heard the noise. So, I get it off the road. I'm like, mm, that didn't sound good. <laughs> so, I call him. I'm like, hey, you know, this is what happened. He's like, so, do you think the motor blew? And I was like, but it was off. It was, like, off. Yeah. And um, he's like, I don't know. And so he's like, was it like immediately when you shifted it? I'm like, no, I, I coasted for like a good quarter mile <laughs> before the noise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, um, I don't know what it was. I'm lost. And he's like, I don't know what it could be either. So anyway, come my friend Kathy to come get me. She comes and gets me. She is a terrible driver. <laughs> um, I feared for my safety the entire time. <laughs> so come back. And then um, I get home, I'm like trying to get all my stuff done and everything. So then I'm like, this is another thing. I'm trying to get some stuff in the oven and one of my oven racks is missing. And I'm like, where's my oven rack? What? And so we're like searching the house. Like I'm getting pissed because my oven rack is gone. Right. Yeah. And so we're like searching everywhere. My oven rack was stuck at the top of the oven up there against the broiler thing. What? Like, how is it even up there? And I only saw it because I cut on the broiler and it like was funky smelling. And I was like, let me look at it. And I'm like, why is my oven rack stuck to the broiler thing? How? How? Anyway. So then I, um, I'm making dinner and then Billy gets up and then he's like, he, he's like, how are we getting this vehicle? I'm like, I don't know. So he's like, I'm going to call your daddy and get the trailer. And so he does. And so he's like, do you want to follow me? No. I got other shit I need to be doing, but I'm like, okay. And so I like, um, get my dinner or I can leave it. And so I, I'll go to following, but I'm like, I need to go get Zane from yeah. school. I ain't gonna have much time. So I'll follow him up there. And then we try to 
first off, the truck cranks fine. <laughs> it drives fine. It drives up onto the trailer, but it's too wide for the trailer. So I'm sketched out because I'm like, you're going to hit a bump. The whole truck's going to fall off. And so he's like, listen, I'll just drive it up to the Piggly Wiggly and we'll leave it. And then I'll just take the trailer back, right? Yeah. And so um, he goes, drives it up to the Piggly Wiggly. I go pick him up, drop him back off. Then I got to book it trying to get Zane from school. He's like second to the last kid. I'm like, oh, my God. So anyway. Anyway, I forgot to tell you what else had happened earlier in the day because I was like, it's a weird day because it's supposed to be a really lucky day because the stars were aligning or some bullcrap. <laughs> so when I came home the first time after Kathy dropped me off after I was afeard for my life, I got my own vehicle, drove back to the grocery store because I was planning on getting some stuff for dinner. So I'm in the checkout line. The woman in front of me is like an old lady, like 80 plus. <laughs> she hands the cashier a bag of candy. The cashier grabs it, like, in the middle. I wish she does. Like, candy flies everywhere. It's like <laughs> M&M's or something around. I mean, everywhere. Like, half this bag. Don't. And then the old lady's like, I said it was open. And she's like, well, obviously, I ain't hear that. And I'm like, yeah. So, anyway, the cashier, she's kind of flustered. <laughs> and so, then this other lady comes over, and she's, like, trying to sweep it up. But every time she gets it, like, swept, she steps on one of them, and it shoots off another direction. <laughs> and so, it's taking forever. I'm, like, standing there looking. Like, I'm trying not to be frustrated, but I'm like, oh, that's so weird. And um, so, then the, the woman sweeping, she's like, um, she says something like, why don't you get another bag? And the woman's like, obviously, I didn't know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, no shit. Like, this woman's over here like, I'm just going to fling candy everywhere for fun. I mean, she said, well, why ain't you get the other dustpan? And she's like, I don't know where it is. But this woman's got this one short-handled dustpan that every time she bends over to sweep this stuff in, her glasses fall off her face into the floor. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. So then the old lady's like, you didn't give me my candy. And I'm thinking, well, nothing left in that bag. But I ain't saying nothing. Come on, my business. <laughs> Anyway, so she's like, yes, ma'am, I did. And she's like, and she starts like hitting her bags like she's looking. Yeah. But she's like just slapping her bags. And so <laughs> the cashier lady comes around and she's like, it's right here, ma'am. And she was like, fine. And I'm sitting here like, well, now all of a sudden you got a voice to be speaking. Too yeah. bad you ain't have that same energy when you handed her this candy open like that. Then the cashier lady's like. If he was going to hand me an open bag of candy and I was like, I would say it was open and hold it by the open part to make sure you grabbed it by that. And she's like, she said she told me, but what she said was my blood pressure. She's like, I ain't know what that meant. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. That's not what I would have done. But so anyway, get in my car. I go to leave. And then there's, um, when I come up, there's, it's like a major highway you're turning onto. There is a turn lane and a straight lane, which is actually the opposite <laughs> turn lane on both sides. Like, yeah. uh, on the opposite side, it's a lane from people turning in from the left and people turning in from the right, right? So, I pull up and I'm looking and there's a dude in oncoming lane. Yeah. And in the wrong lane at that. Like, he's in the right side of the left lanes, how weird. Okay, so I'm like, what is this dude doing? And then there's a truck that's mid-turn, but he can't come in because he's got nowhere to come. 
Yeah. And this dude's sitting there like he's waiting on the truck to finish his turn. And there's a median. It's not like it's just a random lane that maybe the, the lines are wore off. No. So I'm like, what is happening here? But I stay way back because I don't want my car to get hit. And so anyway, um, the truck finally waves the dude out. And then the truck turns. He like throws up his hands at me like, what the hell? I'm like, dude, I don't know. So um, <laughs> anyway, so then the, uh, I'm not going to have time for the good part. Oh, no. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I got to go get Zane in a minute. But yeah. anyway, okay, so I'll tell you real quick. Okay, so we eat dinner, and the kids are cleaning up and stuff, and so Zane, well, I ain't gonna name names, but somebody goes in there and is in the bathroom for like two hours. It's legitimately like an hour. And so then um, somebody else had had to go to the bathroom, and they had gone in there like three times trying to go to the bathroom and could not get in because somebody was hogging up the bathroom. In case you don't remember, they only have one bathroom in their house. Yeah, we have one bathroom. And so um, the other person like beating on the door, and they're like, I need to go. And so, um, you know, that's all well and good, whatever. I don't think nothing about it. So I got to go to the bathroom, and I opened the door and um, to the hall, and it reeks. I'm like, mother goodness it is funk so i think well both of them just must have took massive shits and so it's like piled up i'm like i'll wait so i'll wait like a whole episode of bones i go back in there and um and it stinks it's like oh god why does it smell so bad i'm like why y'all ain't (laughs) cut on the wax warmer whatever so i go in and i'm like man this is rank so i go in I'm trying to do my business real quick, right? I step in something. I'm like, I'm doing my business. I get, I look. I have stepped in shit. <laughs> there is shit on my floor. <sighs> Thank God I was wearing my socks, but I think that still. makes it worse. No, it does not. <laughs> and so I'm like, who the hell shit on my floor? <laughs> So they both come out like, I guess the other one's witnessing, like a so, whole turd. Yeah, like a street. Like if, like if you were running, you had diarrhea and you ran really fast while you're going. It was like a streak, but a piled up streak. It wasn't like a streak. He's like a flat streak. It was a piled up streak. <laughs> but it's the same color as my floor, which is wood brown. And so it was like the same coloring. And so it's camouflaged. So I ain't see it, but I was like, that's why the hell it smelled so bad in my bathroom. <laughs> and so um, I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm like, what the hell? And so I'm like, you know, I ain't even got no kids, no babies in this house. These are phrases I never thought I'd ever have to say again. Who shit in my bathroom floor? And so um, the the boy is like, wasn't me. <laughs> and so he goes, I'm like, I mean, you was in there forever. So, I mean, surely you would have cleaned it up or you had time. Anyway, so then the other one's like, oh, it was me. I forgot. How? How did you forget you shit in my bathroom floor? <laughs> How? This child is like, <laughs> I had accidentally pooped my pants because I couldn't get into the bathroom. Okay, that happens. I mean, <laughs> you like really got to go. We got one bathroom. He was in there forever. So, listen, I, I feel you on that. I'm, I'm not upset about that. That can happen. 
how did you leave a turd in my floor and forget? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. She says, you're right. I know I'm right. <laughs> I know I'm right. Like, I don't need you to tell me I'm right. There is no scenario ever in the entire universe in which I would not be right about this. Like, nobody is out there like, she's dead ass wrong. No, I know I'm right. <laughs> I had dropped my underwear in the floor <laughs> and forgot to clean it up. And just went about your life. It's not funny. I was like, I swear to God, if I ever step in a bodily fluid of yours again, I'm going to kill you on the spot. I'm just going to kill you on the spot. There is not a jury on earth. <laughs> then she going to start tearing up. I'm like, I know. You were not going to sit up here, look me in my face and cry. Look me dead in my eye and cry. You are not the victim. I am the victim. I am the victim. I stepped in shit. Now I stepped in human shit. Tell me, did you clean up your foot before or after you talked to them? Before I took my uh, sock off. <laughs> then, to make matters worse, we are going to go get the truck, drop it off at the shop today, right? See what's up with mm -hmm. it. I get a phone call 4.30 this morning. He done broke down in the car. No. So now we got the car on the other side of the state that we got to go handle that I had to go get him, you know, come back, take, uh, go all the way, take him to get the truck so he could drive to the shop, take Zane to school, then go pick him up from the shop with the truck. And then we got to figure out about the car. Oh my God. That's how my life is going. Jesus. Crazy. Anyway. So if you had a crazy last couple of days, let us know in our discussion group because we would love to hear it. Even though it was supposed to be a lucky day, it was uh, not it for was anybody not. involved. And I know I saw that heifer on TikTok talking about, it's a lucky day, besties. No, it is not. <laughs> it's the best day to manifest everything. I manifested two cars breaking down and me stepping in shit. That's what I manifested. <laughs> So, uh, let us know if you had a good day or a bad day. And um, share our podcast with someone. <laughs> <laughs> she gonna finish this out. I got to go. So, bye, y'all. <laughs> share, share this podcast with someone. It takes forever in the bathroom. Bye. You know you're wrong. It's time.